0: Okay, so this is our third and last week looking at Rhythms of Grace, Mike Cosper's book on worship, and we've really only touched on maybe half of it. There are a lot of other good things that we won't really get to. So today we're going to be talking about worship as spiritual formation, and then take a look at liturgy, a little bit more details about liturgy. All right, let's pray before we get started. Lord, we ask that as we look at who we are as human beings made in the image of God, who need you and desire to know you and desire to worship you more truly in spirit and in truth, we ask that you help us to to see the truth that is in your scripture, the truth that comes from the... The holy trinity that enjoys and delights in one another and enjoys and delights in us and sings over us as your precious children. I pray you give us light to know you better right now. In Christ's name, amen. Okay. <clears throat> we'll start with a couple of quotes up there one from Rhythms of Grace. We gather, remember our identity-shaping story and send one another back into the world, allowing that story to shape us as we go. And this other quote, there's a movie called Magnolia that is a very strange, somewhat disturbing movie, so I'm not... I won't say disturbing, but it's it's rough. So I'm not recommending that you necessarily watch it. But there is a lot of difficult... It's a great portrayal of the desperate condition of the human heart. And there are a lot of truths in this movie. In fact, there's a lot of biblical truths in this movie that the director claims that he didn't even know. When somebody asked him, do you know that this is in the Bible? He claims that no, I didn't know that. Um, it's it's about this, this group of random, seemingly random characters who have diffi- lots of different kinds of difficult circumstances in their life and in their past, and the way that those the, those circumstances and their past has shaped them into who they are today. And there's this quote that uh, the first, it shows up maybe three or four times in the movie. And it, it, when, you, when you hear it, you're like, you, you just hear a, 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 a normal sounding conversation, and all of a sudden this quote will just be thrown in, and nobody reacts like it's weird. But to us, it stands out. And the quote is, The book says we may be through with the past, but the past ain't through with us. And that gets thrown in that movie about three or four times. The way that we live our lives and the stories that we believe about the world and ourselves will form us into who we are becoming. A lot of the ideas in this section of the book, uh, we've mentioned this name before already, but James K.A. Smith's books, Desiring the Kingdom and Imagining the Kingdom, had a great influence on this particular part of Mike Cosper's book, which is a little bit simpler. Um, When I read Jamie Smith's books, I just have to take his philosophical word for about half of the things he says. Because he's flying way up here among high abstract thinking. But when he brings it down, it's so good. But a lot of the times I just have to say, well, all right, whatever whatever you say. Um, but they are really good. In fact, he, when, when Jamie Smith reviewed Mike Cosper's book, apparently they've had some communication. He said this is a good kind of practical outworking of his um, ideas that, that he's had and brought to um, Christian education and worship itself. Because we're going to talk a little bit about being shaped by habits The habits that we form today are going to turn us into who we will become later. This is true in almost every area of life. We can look around and see our lives, the habits of diet, exercise, what we read, the music we listen to, the relationships that we have, the stories that we dedicate our hearts to. They're going to turn us into who we will become. And we know that any kind of Habit that is good is going to take time for it to have its effect right you can 't just all of a sudden start taking cello lessons and expect to play a Bach cello suite in a week. It, it takes time. Um, you, this is a, a good example of sanctification. Um, we know that our justification is immediate and finished, but our sanctification it takes time. Um, and we have to keep that in mind in the in the in the sphere of worship as well. So, what, what two things that Jamie Smith talks about in his book, and that Mike Cosper does as well, are different types of habits. So he talks about thin habits and thick habits. You've probably heard this before from Darwin or Brian as well. Um, when 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 these books came out, like he didn't necessarily aim it towards worship, but like the the kind of PCA or Reformed Worship Community just like gravitated towards these ideas. And his second book kind of um, was a little bit more focused towards worship itself. Um, So we're going to look at thin habits for for just a bit. Uh, Here's an example of uh, an explanation of thin habits which are less meaningful. Some habits are very thin or mundane, like brushing our teeth or eating the same cereal for breakfast every day. Or watching the 11 o'clock news every night. Or exercising daily and so on. These habits don't touch our love or our fundamental desire. So let's, let's name some habits that you might think are thin habits. Anybody? He, he named a few, but what might be some others? Habits that you think that you might engage in every day that, that are just not necessarily shaping your identity, but, but you do them anyway. Read the sports page. Okay, sports page. What was it? The cleaning the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> House cleaning. House cleaning? <laughs> the cleaning of the bathroom is
1: very necessary. Nice place if you don't. What else? Some guys park their hair on the right side like you, and others on the left like
0: me. Yeah, those are yeah, those are habits. Right. We have a lot of different ones. And what's also interesting, you know, he mentions exercise, which, for hopefully, exercise is a thin habit. Not, not to mean not in that kind of uh, <laughs> pun, but um, you know, for some people, certain activities or habits, they, they will be. Exercise for you may not shape your identity, but for some people, it might it might be what where they place their whole identity, their their image. Um, so, these things can kind of change from person to person. So, now let's look at some th- thick habits, more meaningful, or we could say storied habits that we engage in. These habits that play, these are habits that play a significant role in shaping our identity, who we are. Engaging in these habit forming practices not only says something about us, but also keeps shaping us into that kind of person. For good or bad, our worship practices are forming us and our communities, giving shape to what we believe. There's this um, old Latin phrase called lex orandi, lex credendi, which means so we pray, so we believe, or as we pray, so we believe. I think that comes from, maybe from a monastic tradition. And we don't tend, generally tend to think like that. Um, you know we think that spontaneous from the prayer from the heart or declaration from the heart it, it should only be where we are currently in our spiritual condition or formation but there in any area of life we have to allow ourselves to be trained And so the, it's like we've talked about before we don't only worship or engage God at the level of our current, Feelings or our current um, perceived spiritual condition—the way that we view ourselves. So, thinking about thick habits that maybe we or the world around us engage in that shape our identity. What are some of those? That I want to change my three sports page to a thick habit. Instead. <laughs> For you, yeah, maybe, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a great example of a an, an identity shaping habit that you that your feelings toward may vary from day to day. You know, what else? I'd have to say
1: cleaning the bathroom is probably. A thing the habit for you? <laughs> that is where
0: I spend time. To work. <laughs> yeah. All right, what else? Obviously, worship, we're putting worship in that sphere. Although for some people, perhaps worship is just another thing that they do. They may go to church, and it's, for them, it's a it doesn't shape their identity. Jacob, I think
1: one thing that um, can do that is that, that one of the things I've learned is that when, when I'm going through a hard time,
0: Mm-hmm. It's, much, it's, it's easier to believe in things right here. Right. Yes. I think journaling is one for me because I can go back and see what God's been doing in my life, where I can use what I go back and read and apply that to Yeah, some that I listed, um, I think maybe the, the stories that we engage so the books that we read or the literature that we read they captivate our imaginations at a at a at a level that is very shaping or the movies that we watch the uh that we really invest ourselves in yeah your particular calling like darwin mentioned this morning is a way to be shaped it's not it's not just not only is it not a way to serve the, it, it, it is a way to serve the world, but it's also a way that you are you are shaped is tied into your sanctification as well.
1: A couple of questions on, the, and maybe you're coming later, but they, I think they apply to worship. Do you have to? Yeah. With limited time, and then the second question is: Do you do you need to have a shock every once in a while to make you really appreciate it, whether it's a thin habit or or a thick habit? Mm-hmm. The fact that that habit does add meaning to your life.
0: Yeah. I think that I think in the books he, and and probably more so in the, designing the kingdom and imagining the kingdom that he does talk about. If you, if you realize that certain things are going to shape you, then you're going to probably pay more careful attention to what you're doing and realize that you do need to make priorities. Um, and also, some things may be shaping you that you don't realize are shaping you, habits that you engage in. And so, therefore, you may have some things that you need to um, um, give up, even if it's just... Uh, Patterns of thinking. Um, what was the second?
1: Well, about having some shock or awakening oh, yeah. to, make, to help you appreciate it. And, mm-hmm. I just, and I'm thinking that even applying both of those to worship, you know, there are things that can add to our worship experience, but sometimes that means taking something else out
0: of our worship experience. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Or something new to just help you appreciate some of the practices. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a good question as well.
1: I think if you know, looking at looking at where you are spiritually, if if you're moved to change, and you go back to you know the fact these habits change you, then you know as you pray on that, you say, okay, well, what what habits do I need to replace with something else to make that change? You know, what habits do I you know, do I need to introduce in order to move me to where I want to be? And so you know, I think that, you know, that prayerful consideration would force that, um, you know, Yeah, that change or that you know, relocation of what, how you allocate the time. But yeah. even, even though, I mean, often it cannot even be replacing necessarily a... a a habit I mean it can easily be I mean for me I can I can say that often my scripture reading becomes a thin habit mm-hmm. um, and I think maybe that's kind of the question that you're asking is how do I like rattle my head and go no this is something that, that needs more um, thought and effort and, and uh, attention than, than I'm giving it rather than it just being something that I, I do because it's today rather than doing it because it it is shaping me.
0: Yeah. I think even when you feel like it's, I mean, this, we, we all know this, but even when you feel like it's not shaping you, over the long haul, it is, you know. But it is true that we need, we do need to, I mean, what's Paul say? That he buffets his body. We have to, there are there are spiritual disciplines that we can engage in to kind of force that shock upon ourselves. Um, things like fasting and journaling. is another spiritual discipline that people recommend a lot that can kind of kind of wake up our bodies for for a bit. Yeah. Okay. Good. So these habits or liturgies, we could we could think of them. These patterns, these express what we believe, but they also form us into believers. Um, The the act itself forms us into those kinds of believers. So our thick habits will point toward the story that we are believing. We can look around the world and see habits of materialism or uh, the importance of body image and that just as examples, point towards the the specific story that our our culture kind of focuses on and believes. Like, this is it. You've got to get what you can get now, and these are the ways to do it. Um, So that's a certain story. So we have to ask ourselves, which grand story will we aim our habits towards? We all have habits. We're all believing some story. We have to aim those habits towards the grand story. And from... um, from Imagining the Kingdom, again, he says, we are narrative animals whose very orientation to the world is fundamentally shaped by stories. We live at the nexus of body and story, a between space where the aesthetic force of a narrative or poem captures our imagination because it resonates with the bodily attainment that so fundamentally governs our being in the world. So his whole... His whole uh, thesis and this idea behind all of, all of these uh, practices about habits is that, like we've said, I believe, in the first week, that we are not fundamentally people who just think, or try to think the right thing, but there's a part of us that's non-cognitive, uh, or he says pre-cognitive, that our imagination is determines... Our engagement with the, with the stories that we believe in determines who, who we are, what we really believe and act out. Stories capture the heart. We can think of uh, the way that Jesus talked in parables a lot of the times. Um, you can think of the way that Nathan the prophet uh, rebuked David and his sin. It was with a story, and his heart was caught up in it before he realized that it was about him. Even um, you, you know, we may say, "Well, this sounds good, but what about the what about so much of the way we think about like the writings of Paul or New Testament uh, epistles?" Um, you can, I think, you can almost uh, consider that its its story. It's the it's the it's getting at the 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 details of this, of story theology when Paul he, he's talking to us about us being transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His Son. That's a story, and He gives us... Here's what that means. He's unpacking the story for us. and So it isn't to say that uh, heavy thinking or uh, study is something we shouldn't be engaged in, of course. So when we gather to worship... To me, this is one of the most beautiful aspects of worship that God has created us to be these types of people made in his image who are engaged by the imagination. And in worship, we don't deny that part of ourselves. In fact, we, we want to have our hearts captured. So when we gather, think of all the ways that our, our, our persons are engaged in, in a worship service. There's music. Um, music is, there's a lot of mystery in music. Um, to me, it's, 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 it sounds corny, but it really is kind of like magic. Music, when you, when you think about the ways that you are uh, manipulating the properties of air and sound waves to form something that enters your, your ear and then goes into your brain and creates a feeling at times. And then those sound waves, the way that they produce overtones that embellish one another, it's like we're walking around in, a, in, in like Harry Potter world all the time. To me, it's, it's, just, it's just incredible when you, when you think about that. Um, and so music is one way that our, 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 our person is engaged in worship on these on these levels a uh, story is another way that we're engaged in worship through the gospel representation to to us every week we hear this the grand story we, we we see the end of the world i don't mean like that in a like a apocalypse type way i mean just the point that we're headed and we see history. History is another, is another story that our hearts can be captured by. And the, the Bible's full of history. And we can also take part in the tradition of the church, which, is, which has its own story to be enjoyed. Um, art is another way that we can be in, uh, engaged in worship. You know, that churches do different levels of art in the service itself. But look around you. This place is, is a work of art. That window is a work of art. Your bulletin is a work of art. Um, there's we're engaged visually by many things as well. Um, the 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 Im- imaginative qualities that go into a simple bread and wine each week um, that you that that you could receive that over your lifetime and find more and more meaning and strength and promise in there over just a simple bread and wine each week. Engages your imagination, and all of that, accompanied, of course, and and tied into the truth of of Scripture, um, the the message that we are proclaiming, right. It's also uh, I love this this uh, this verse from Ephesians. We are His workmanship, and that word there for workmanship is the same word that we get uh, our word poem from. So when God, when He creates us, it's not just as, it's, again, it's not just as an, an object to perform a task, but it's a work that is filled with imagination. And also from Psalm 139, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay, we're going to talk about, just a minute, uh, about covenant renewal throughout, um, The Old Testament, as worship was being uh, introduced in, in, say, the the Passover, it was was a recalling of what God had done for them. Um, Our New Testament worship comes to us after a long history of covenant renewal and story reminders. Israel was a story-formed community, and their gatherings were punctuated by remembering God's story and their place within it. So every time they get together, they recount their story and their place within it, rehearsing and reaffirming their identity. And amazingly, it's you think about where we are in history and all the works that God has done before us, living on this side of the cross. And, and it's really easy to to lose sight of, of that for sure, but to realize that we, we have been given so much to, to look back upon and so much evidence towards hope and grace for the future. So our worship habits in, in the history of our particular lives, they've not only shaped who we are, but they've also shaped our understanding of worship um, our particular histories and traditions have formed what we believe worship to be. So when we all gather around and think about worship, we all come from different kinds of backgrounds and uh, different ways that we've been shaped. So we, we always have to remember that as we look to the details of worship. So we're going to look at look at liturgy a little bit in the, in the, in the last uh, section here. Liturgy and the Rhythms of Grace. The word liturgia most commonly is uh, defined as the work of the people. Uh, If you look it up in the, uh, I think, Strong's uh, dictionary, it's given the definition of a charitable gift, public service in the widest sense, service as of priest or Levite ritual. And here are a couple of uh, examples where that word is used in the New Testament. And when his, that is Zechariah's, time of service was ended, he went to his home. So Zechariah, one of the priests in the temple at the beginning of of Luke. And then from 2 Corinthians 9, Paul is talking about the uh, offering being taken up for the Jerusalem church. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So that was their... Their uh, work of the people, that service. And then from Hebrews 8, another another aspect of this that points to Christ like we've mentioned before. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old. As the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. So Jesus is involved in liturgy as well. He is He's our great high priest who's, who has performed the uh, perfect work of service for us as people and continues to, to uh, live in intercession for us. To talk about liturgy in its most basic sense is to talk about what the congregation is gathering to do. So that's that aspect again that we don't gather. In the book, he uses an example of... Two, two ways of looking viewing worship. You have the concert hall where you gather and you watch something happen. Um, you're a spectator versus a banquet hall where you gather and maybe you, you bring, or maybe a covered dish. I think that's the way Darwin has maybe talked about it. Think of it as a, a banquet hall where we all bring something to uh, to uh, feast upon together. We all have gifts and things to do uh, with one another and for one another as we gather to worship um, let's go to and this this little section of uh, taught and caught there we've already kind of talked about that a little bit but just if you think about the ways that children learn to walk or learn to speak um, it's by imitation. So we're all we're always learning by imitation. Almost anything that we learn in, in life is by modeling after somebody else. Um, and look at this look at this little way, that little bullet point uh, excerpt there from a, a book called Worship Words, talking about all the, the things that are shaped, that we are taught and that we. Catch in worship. In a fundamental sense, worship language, like all of worship, is formative. The words we hear, sing, and speak in worship help form our images of God, our understanding of what the church is and does, our understanding of human brokenness and healing, our sense of purpose as individuals and as a church, our religious affections—all humility and delight, contrition and hope, our vision of wholeness for ourselves and all creation. Our practices of engaging with God, with each other, and with the world. When I read that, I get uh, get kind of scared because <laughs> it's kind of a uh, I don't want to sound, but it it it's kind of scary to think that uh, myself, Darwin, and Brian are you know we have to, a lot of times I'm trying to figure out who can play this week, but. And then read that and say, "Oh man!" So we're we're putting the the words and the formation into the people of this church. It's a it's a big deal. Um, thank goodness for our whole. Uh, thank the Lord for our whole session and staff for sure. Okay, so lastly, we're going to look a little bit at just the the pattern of liturgy and let us see there. Um, Representing the gospel each week. That's, that's a term that comes from Brian Chappell's book, Christ-Centered Worship. A re-presentation re-pre- a re- uh, of the gospel. And, and look at this quote. We worship God according to this gospel pattern, not because of arbitrary worship rules, but because the content of the gospel shapes our response to it. We love God because he has revealed the gospel to us, so it is natural that our expressions of love would be framed by the contours of his redemptive work. I think when we the way that the larger church, evangelical church community tends to gather and worship in the way the you know the popular modern uh, worship model looks if you come out of that and you come to a a service that we think of as more liturgical, although that's just a, everybody has a liturgy, of course. Um, but when you come into a service, say like ours, or even a more high church, it's easy to think you're just you're just you're doing all these things, and it takes a while to to really be able to enter into that and and see the benefits of of. Responsive readings, or a hymn, and then a scripture reading and prayers together—all these, all these different things—and um, the shape of that. But, like Brian Chappell says, it, it's a it's a gospel shape that's formed by by the uh, the pattern of uh, the salvation in in scripture and in history. So, we're going to look for a second. We're going to look at Isaiah six as a as an example of kind of what they call a gospel dialogue structure. A beautiful thing about worship, too, is that God wants us to have a dialogue with Him in worship. It's not just us singing, praying, preaching, hoping that He likes it. It's not just us being pounded with uh, ways that we've failed and then going home and hoping to do better. But it's a, he invites us into his presence. He speaks and we respond. That's kind of the pattern of, of a lot of these scriptures. So we're going to look at Isaiah six as kind of a brief model for a worship service, and you can see some things that, have, that we can, uh, some of these bullet points that we can gather. So, look for, we're going to look for some of these as we go through adoration, confession, assurance, thanksgiving, petition, instruction, charge, blessing. We may not see all of them here. So this is Isaiah 6, Psalm 571. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With one he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips." And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people. And so on. So let's look at these bullet points here and just identify some of these aspects in this chapter. So adoration. Yeah. The, uh, not only, not only uh, Isaiah's adoration but the angels themselves entering into a, a worship service that is already taking place yeah okay so what happens when when he sees the Lord he's not he's watching he's gazing upon the beauty of the Lord and the holiness of God the uh, total um, the total image of god 's beauty and perfection, and then his immediate response is, "Woe is me right He sees his need for cleansing and for grace and mercy. so we can see there the, the his confession of his uncleanliness and the assurance that comes from the, uh, from the tongs of the altar, the, uh, the place of sacrifice that comes from an angel to purify his lips and he's received assurance and cleansing. Uh, we don't necessarily see a uh, you know, particular thanksgiving or petition after that, but um, you can imagine that he was thankful for that cleansing, in order to gaze upon the, the Lord, and then the Lord gives instruction. Um, it's a little bit out of order, perhaps, from what we see. But, but the Lord gives instruction to Isaiah, and he also says, "Who shall I send? Who will go for us?" And he charges Isaiah with, with a mission. So It's not just come and enjoy the Lord and then go about your business as you would, uh, as you desire. But it, it's to receive a mission from God, ascending from God, and then some of these other, other um, examples there given at the bottom of that page uh, have some other uh, some of the other. Bullet points, and then I also have there. We're not going to really go over this at all either. But this is these little tables from are from Brian uh, from Brian Chapel's book. It's pretty interesting to go through the these different liturgies that the church has historically adopted. You have two of them there they, they, it may be kind of confusing, but the the first one well I think I have them in, in the wrong order. It should be the uh, chart one point one first is that the last one there that 's the liturgy of the word when a, when a worship service would not either would not have communion or uh, would you know a lot of times in the historic church non-communicants would be uh, excused from from worship at, when they entered into the, the, the point of communion. So it's kind of seen almost as two different services. Either a church wouldn't have communion every week, or if they did have it every week, it's kind of a, a large division there. So, so you can see the way that on, on 1.1, where the different, different uh, churches have adopted different things, and you can see some uh, different theological um, uh, beliefs expressed in where you put things in the worship service and then you can also see over here uh, the way the the service of the upper room or, or communion the way that would look in these different different uh, traditions um, like doug said there's there 's a lot of things <laughs> if we did this every week, it would be full and rich um, maybe too full <laughs> it 's hard those are those are tough balances to uh, to um, think about, but it is something to something to weigh. I was going to take time to just walk through um, our service this morning, but you can see we try to take um, when we do. The first hymn that we usually do, you know musically you think, all right, it needs to be something kind of up or loud or big um, that's a good that's a good criteria also, but mostly when we try to choose the the first hymn we 're trying to think of hymns that really do show God like Isaiah, you see god not not really of uh, even not necessarily the the uh, the importance of what God has done for us in salvation, but just just the character of God, which is displayed, uh, and, and a, a great example of that is just the hymn "Holy, Holy, Holy." To to see to see the Lord high and lifted up, and and have Him um, put before our eyes that we could have an honest response to that, and then you can see that we have this dialogical structure as well that that we see God. Um, then we respond with an invocation and a doxology, and sometimes we'll have, for example, last week we had a little bit of um, before we had our confession on uh, that touched on Sanctity of Life Sunday. We had a little verse from um, Proverbs to kind of again this dialogical structure. That here's here's another thing to point out our need for grace, and then respond in prayer, and then. And then we hear the assurance of pardon, and then we respond. So it's this, it's this pattern of uh, dialogue between God and his, and his people. He speaks, and we respond. All the way to the end, where um, he's given us a charge, and we go, and then he also responds with a, a blessing as we go. The benediction, the good word upon his people as we go. All right, we're going to stop there. I didn't leave any time for questions today. Sorry about that. Um, I think we have uh, some copies of that book. I, I do recommend it as a good, a good overall teaching of worship that gets very practical, but it is uh, it's um, very, very good. All right, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you have called us your own and that we belong to you and that we enter into worship not as uh, lowly beggars hoping for grace, but we enter confidently because of the perfect work of the great high priest on our behalf. We give you praise for that. In Christ's name, amen.